The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm Dr. Nigel Finch, and my guest today is Adrian Float, MD from Seralto. Now, Seralto offers a range of technology solutions, including a payment services business that focuses on the B2B market. Now, that's a little bit different to a lot of the B2C stuff that we're seeing in the buy now, pay later space. Seralto has a market cap of around 60 mil and listed under the ticker code CRO. Now, Seralto's also mid-merger, which means there's been a fair amount of corporate activity. So during today's discussion, we'll find out uh, a little bit more about that. But first of all, welcome, Adrian. Thank you for having me, Nigel. It's good to be here. Great. Now, to start off, can you just give us a quick snapshot, just uh, just some headline numbers here on the size and scale of your business, say headcount, number of customers, revenue, et cetera, that sort of thing? Yep, sure thing. Um, so look, on a merge basis, um, we're just shy of 50-odd people, um, but we are actively uh, expanding the team. Uh, and, and right across the board, we are about 3,000 customers for a round number. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those are in that B2B space in terms of um, distributors trading with retailers, etc. in a variety of market segments. Uh, merge basis revenue somewhere around, I would, I would say uh, if I looked at the June 30 numbers, we're probably a $3 million odd dollar business. Uh, if I look at um, mm-hmm. this year, uh, probably a fair bit bigger than that. Good. All right. Well, um, before we get into Seralto, Adrian, I'm interested in your background and experience, especially around building um, and uh, exiting businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and also what brought you to Seralto? Sure. Uh, well, I suppose... Um... I started my career actually in, uh, believe it or not, I built a piece of software which I sold to the professionals um, and it was a visual search engine for real estate. So it was um, uh, a long way ahead of its time. I, I think we actually started uh, about the same time that what is now realestate.com started um, and I was a young guy and um I thought I made a fortune selling it to the to the professionals group. Uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It possibly wasn't a fortune, but um, it certainly sort of got me started. Um, and I moved from there um, right at the start of the whole, I guess you'd say, dot-com thing. Um, and uh, that dot-com thing, we were really, I guess, building high-value websites for all kinds of different businesses, and we. I, I, it would be fair to say I fell into payments and supply chain management uh, just by chance. I, I was trying to. I got a meeting with the CIO of Bunnings, and I was trying to tell him that uh, they should be selling on the internet. And I think it was it was about October of nineteen ninety-seven, and. Um, uh, 
and they pretty much laughed at me, which was, you know, great. As a young bloke, I didn't really appreciate the comedy of it all. But um, on the back of, I guess, that laughter, I heard of this thing called EDI. I understood the role it played inside Bunnings. And I drew a picture on a whiteboard and I said something along the lines of, I reckon we could do this for you, mate. And um, it was one of those strange experiences where uh, I went back to my then three-person office, uh, myself, my then business partner and our one employee, and got a call from Bunnings and um, they were like, so you reckon you could build this, mate? And I literally quoted it on the fly. We built it. No one believed it, it would work right up until the death knock and it ended up being um, the first EDI platform over over the internet uh, in existence. We got, you know, guys from, you know, your Microsofts and your um, Oracles and, and whatnot flying in from all over the world to see it. And, of course, Bunnings... Um, ultimately uh, really just dominated the Australian uh, hardware space with that technical agility, um, sold it out to, sold it the IP to Bunnings in 2000 and, I think it was 2001, and I kind of started again. I fell into payments in the same way. I learned really quickly working inside the Bunnings system that um, there's, there's more to a payment than just physically moving the money, and ultimately it was about, transaction precision and making sure that that you know you formed the right transaction so before you processed it because if you got it wrong the return was going to really punish you that and that cost of returns has always been something i've been very mindful of so yeah look took that experience built a payments business um sold that started again got involved in a photocopier business of all things um which turned out to be a, a you know a great transaction for me personally, sold out of that. Got involved in retailing, um, which was, that was a very hard run. Um, and I, I guess I've always, I've been pretty good at, at um, squirreling away knowledge in all these different segments. And I suppose ultimately, look, I haven't worked for anyone since I worked for a nice old Macedonian man um, managing his petrol stations where, you know, it was a bit of a tough love thing, but I understood how to, how to do that. And uh, it was, yeah, been a good run. Right. And so you were talking about this EDI. Can you explain what EDI is and the significance of it? Yeah. So, look, EDI is basically a messaging system to exchange business documents. But it was started by big businesses for international shipping and things. So um, major corporations that wanted to move, you know, entire shiploads of, of cargo could send purchase orders and then receive um, uh, invoices and, and those kinds of things. And I suppose the principle of those messages uh, stuck, stuck with me and made sense to me, um, but we've just tried to make it possible. And it's probably been my mantra for the better part of 20 years that if you redefined that concept of EDI into a collaboration framework that you could build very close and trusted business relationships that um, were more invested in than just simply price. And I suppose when I look at what we what I learned from Bunnings, Bunnings had seven customers using their EDI system when I met them. And that was actually owned by Telstra, incidentally. Um, we got every single one of their suppliers online in 15 months. And it was just because we made it easier and we made it a win as opposed to, I suppose, what the traditional EDI model had been 
it had been like a seal club. You will adopt this because I'm I'm the big guy and I'm telling you to get it. Um, I, I just I, I never understood why you'd want to apply a seal uh, a club to your uh, commercial relationships, and we're trying to, um, I I guess bring supply chain principles to the way in which cash is actually moved through the economy. So, um, you know, we, we've got a pretty unique position when I look at how we line up as a competitor. Um, and if you look at a software business, um, you know, they're really focused on being able to earn software revenues, et cetera. And, if you, and, and we're, we're really fortunate. We've got great software capabilities, but we treat the software like a vending machine for the transaction. Um, so we don't need to make money out of the out of the software. Uh, it's like a value add. Whereas, in, and then if you flip it the other way and you look at, say, a major bank, um, they make money from processing movements in in funds, but they don't actually form the transactions. So the the invoices that sit behind what you're going to pay, and they certainly don't get into the depth of integration, so that there's actually core business improvement. And and because we do that. Um, we're able to offer um, the, a, a much more diversified um, solution than any other competitor. So it's a bit like being, you know, six foot six and um, and uh, able to run a hundred like uh, Carl Lewis, um, but we can also bend down and touch our toes with at, at great speed. So we're we're hard to man up on, uh, and we're finding that now when we go in, into deals that. Our competitors just don't have the breadth of capability that we've got, which is which is you know it's it's a good place to be because we've been able to get here while no one was watching. So, Adrian, can you tell us a little bit about the range of technology solutions Seralto provides to its customers? Absolutely, I'd probably put them into three buckets. So, um, we've got really good sales systems, and those sales systems uh, allow us to offer a retailer, um, the ability to um, process point of sale. Um, we've got service management. Uh, we've got e-commerce. And that's an area where we're really focused on bolstering that up. And obviously, we've got payments. And then um, so sitting behind those, I guess, retail systems, we've also got all the procurement stuff that a business needs to um, manage its inventories and, and do goods inwards and all that kind of stuff. So the whole digital journey um, sitting there. and then. Moving along, we've, we've then got our payments business. And our payments business is really designed to help um, organizations settle their outstanding debts and ensure that, you know, the seller always gets paid what they're owed on time. And, and whether that's about accessing um, liquidity and, and real-time sort of finance or whether that's about entering into a payment arrangement or whether that's about just straight up, I'm going to send you some money um, we're, uh, we're all about allowing the remittance advice to be shared digitally and um, keeping the accounts payable and accounts receivable uh, in sync, if you like. Yeah. And I suppose the final bit of our um, core capabilities is in integration. And this mm -hmm. is probably the bit that sets us apart. So our integration um, platform allows us to, to do that last mile posting, so read the financials really effectively share the missing transactions out um, into the, the customer lay, layer and then also then integrate those at the other end. So we've got an end-to-end -end journey that's underpinned by that integration flavor. So 
lots of stuff and, and we can mix up different recipes to make it work for different market segments um, based on their need. Yeah. Well, look, that's, um, I'd like to focus a little bit on the payments um, side of things. So, Adrian, what's the problem that your um, payment system, Spender Collect, is focused on solving? And how big do you estimate that this market is? Well, <laughs> okay, so Spender Collect um, ultimately is about solving the, um, the ever uh, I guess present issue that, that that plagues distributors and, and wholesalers in terms of getting paid, um, and it does that by um, sharing a trusted connection to the the customer so that they can access the I'll call it the the suppliers um, accounts receivable ledger, see what they owe, and then it allows them to make payments on on a statement or or enter into payment arrangements and. And all of those things are done interactively. So the problem we're solving re- really is, is around administration for both the, our customer as well as the customer's customer when it comes to settling outstanding debt. So we'll find transactions that are missing. We'll find unallocated credits. Um, as, a, as, the, as the customer, I'm able to select multiple invoices I want to pay and, and pay now. So we're trying to make it easier as well for small businesses, especially in retail land, to access um, card payment options that would have traditionally been um, done via EFT. And I suppose as we do more and more in um, business business finance and business lending, we're ultimately trying to make it very, um, or access to capital uh, much easier. And so that, so that in the same way that I could say select six invoices um, put this on my credit card, I can also go select these six invoices and I want to finance those and, and pay, you know, um, $10,000 over 10 weeks and give, give flexibility so that we can keep um, in cash moving through the economy to, you know, those small to medium businesses and, and also um, limit risk for our supply line um, when they actually do business. Now, Adrian, um, I mentioned that you were mid-merger. You've also just recently held your AGM in July. Um, there was a staggering 21 shareholder resolutions on that AGM. So well done to everyone for getting that done. But what was involved and, um, and how has this merger um, set your business up going forward? Yeah, look, the merger is 100% about aligning uh, the IP and the teams that have now been working together in sort of a subcontractor kind of relationship for an extended period of time. So the merge is really just about galvanization uh, and allowing us to set one course and go and have it and not have any sort of fragmentation in effort or focus uh, across the board. So it's been a big effort to get us here. And it's certainly, you wouldn't say that this merger, if you went back a few years ago, was a by design thing. But it came became um, the right choice, and and since it's been that right choice, we're we're pressing for it as fast as possible, uh, and obviously looking at other uh, opportunities to really bolster up our IP, um, both through licensing and and other potential uh, acquisition opportunities. And are you focusing uh, the expansion strategy on any particular geographic markets? Uh, well, I suppose right now 
we're we're really just working uh, Australia. That said, we've planted some some roots in the US market um, in 2018, and much like we we started working on our this this now payments um, business back in 2018, um, we think there's great opportunity in both the US, um, uh, Western Europe, but equally uh, in Asia itself. I mean, ultimately, business is business. People need to move funds. They want, uh, especially with COVID, the necessity to access um, working capital has never been... um, so necessary in uh, as it is today. So, so yeah. We in terms of, of geographies, look, we're we're actively looking at, at our ex- expansion plans at the moment. But um, mm. those early seeds we've already planted are probably the ones that will germinate first. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit about some of the key partnerships that you have um, and how you work with these partners, such as, for example, your integration partners. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, third-party software vendors are a value-added play. Now, we've got a big push to what we call we take, spend, to collect or get collecting with spend, to collect, which is really about allowing software vendors to support us as opposed to us supporting them. So um, the, I guess the big three in the smaller business or medium business landscape uh, in the in the Western world are 100% zero. QuickBooks Online and in Australia, Mile. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got good integrations to them and we're actively, uh, I suppose, working with their channel partners to uh, grow market share. But I guess in the mid-market uh, and above, when we start getting into you know products from, say, Microsoft or uh, other ERP vendors like your SAPs and those sorts of things, uh, our integration strategy really... Um, comes to life. So that's all about helping uh, the, the, I'll call it their implementation or business consulting networks to be able to work with our products easily, customize them specifically to business needs, uh, and ultimately get the transaction flow happening. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very exciting space for us and one that uh, in terms of our product roadmap, there's a lot of effort going into. And can you just explain to us very briefly about your current paths to market? I mean, apart from working through zeros and the like, are there any other channels that you have um, direct to the customer? Uh, yeah, look, uh, believe it or not, we think that the most influential uh, relationship in in really up to the mid-sized business now is in with their accountant or the company's accountant as a financial advisor. So we're putting a lot of effort into um, – Credit management uh, and and relationships in the accounting fraternity to provide them with the tools to better advise their customers uh, how to drive profitability through their organisations. And obviously, you know, there's you probably couldn't find a, an accountant uh, across the world that that isn't um, absolutely flat out at the moment. So getting their mind share, uh, it's got to be high value. And uh, it's got to be impactful and it's got to be easily delivered. So they're the ingredients that we're focusing on uh, when it comes to um, accessing a broader base of customers. Uh, and we think um, it's having the right, the right effect at the moment. So, you know, it's, uh, we'll keep doing more of the same. 
And Adrian, are there any notable customers that you could share with us that you have as, as clients? Uh, oh, look, there's, <laughs> our customer growth was about 50% last month. So I'm starting to get a little bit out of step with that, if I was being honest. Uh, I'm more in step with some of our, our channel partners. Uh, and um, yeah, I suppose there's there's some big customers that, that we've worked with over the years. Probably our largest one is um, is the Capricorn Society. And that's been a nearly a 20-year relationship um, that we've cultivated, adapted software, and continued to... Um, to work with them to to deliver, you know, constant high flow, uh, high performance transaction sort of services. Um, now the fintech space uh, has certainly attracted a lot of investor attention over recent years, um, and there's a number of companies that are playing, you know, in, in fintech now. Uh, do you see any competitors on the horizon for the types of um, solutions that you're providing to your customers? Well, there's always always competitors, and I think the uh, the thing for us as an organisation is recognising that our competitor um, is probably not sitting inside, a, say, an Australian listed business or even potentially um, a substantial operation today. I think that the degree of of innovation that's required means that our competitor uh, could well be, you know, the that uh, pimply-faced nineteen-year-old uh, that's in his final year of computer science, or uh, or you know a, a young lady that's um, working with a couple of friends on an idea to uh, improve the way in which you know funds flow between two parties. I, I, I think that com- the definition of competitors has changed so much in recent times that we're always on the lookout for. Um, I guess things which align to where we see the market actually going, and, and it's certainly not sitting inside the, um, I guess the usual suspects that uh, that that get lots of airtime in us in the Australian uh, media or um, financial press. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Sorelto, what does your future traje- trajectory, sorry, uh, start to look like? Um, well, at the moment, obviously, we're growing really strongly and you can't keep putting 50% growth numbers on the board for forever. But um, I, I feel we'll continue to grow very strongly uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, we've definitely got innovation points where we're hitting limited competitive tension. So um, what, is it, what, do, what do we look like a year from now? Uh, well, we're probably... If you look at what's happened to us in the last few months, we've really gone from being what I'd call in the bottom tier uh, of the um, the payments business or, or tech space uh, to where probably at the in the lower mid tier now. I see us probably moving into the that top tier uh, as we continue to grow and acquire customers, and um, I believe that. We'll keep being a very good uh, option to stick in your portfolio uh, and uh, and hold on to as um, you know we keep growing our business.
Yeah. And Adrian, my last question here is, as a uh, as an MD, what's one change or one learning uh, from COVID-19 that you may adopt within your business going forward? Biggest thing for me I've learned is if you let people work to their own body clock and their own rhythm, they are a much more effective resource all day long and twice on Sundays. They will give more. They will... You create a whole different level of trust um, between. That's what Sokovas taught me trust in a whole different way. So I um, feel very lucky to have the team on board that we have, and the way that they have worked and found, you know, their own um, uh, methods for managing their time more effectively has been infinitely better to self-empower than to instructionalize. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what I've learned. And we'll continue to do more and more of that and try and make ourselves a business that really attracts talent and people want to come and work for because we recognize the individual and try and help them be their best. Well, there's some wise words and it certainly sounds like a uh, quite an effervescent journey with, with Soralto. So thanks very much to my guest, Adrian Float, uh, Managing Director from Soralto, for joining us for this edition of Stock Talk. Thanks very much, Nigel. It was great to be here.